Well, John 14, verses 15 through 31. The title of the message, The Holy Spirit, Our Helper. And I'm going to ask for those who are able, if you would stand in honor of the reading of the the word of God and attentiveness to his voice as we listen carefully and with reverence, hear the word of the Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will Come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you now, as always, for your word, and open it with the expectation that you have something to say to us in it. And there is always more that could be said than there is time to say or even the ability to absorb. And so, God, we trust you and surrender to you to choose for us the priorities of what you want to speak through your word. And so we ask that you would, by your spirit, speak your word through your spirit through your servant, to your people, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. 
Well, if you have been with us for some time, um, you should know a few things. First of all, that we've been going through a series on the Gospel of John. Now, you should know that one. If you have been here, uh, you should know that part, right? That we've been going through a series on the Gospel of John, and you also know that as we came to the uh, chapters 14 through 17, what's called the Farewell Discourse, that I, we, we sort of leapfrogged over two passages where Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit, this one being one of them, and, and circled back around to it in order to uh, kind of springboard into a series on the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're uh, kind of launching into today. And um, the other thing that hopefully, if you're a regular part um, of our fellowship, you received an e-newsletter this week where I reminded you of that and included an outline or a schedule of, uh, of, of that upcoming series. Would you raise your hand if you did see that? Would you raise your hand if you got that? Okay. So lots of people who didn't. So um, I might say a couple of things in that regard. Number one, check your junk mail. It may be there because mass email communications tend to go there. Number two, if you just haven't read it yet, then um, just know that it's there. And there's, again, an outline of, of how that series will go. Ten messages over a period of 14 weeks. There's uh, four different weeks where um, that series will be preempted or interrupted by missions-related things, and that's on the schedule as well. Um, but, uh, you know, it'll be fairly um, comprehensive but not exhaustive. Uh, we won't, in 10 messages, say everything that could be said about the Holy Spirit, but hope to cover a lot of territory. And part of the reason that I wanted to take the opportunity to, to do that, I mean, obviously, Jesus provides in John 14 and 16 um, a really helpful and important introduction to the Holy Spirit. But there is lots more the Bible tells us about him and the Holy Spirit is easily the most uh, misunderstood and misrepresented member of the Trinity. Um, and even the way that he works is misunderstood, including by those who know a lot about the Holy Spirit. And so um, we wanted to set aside the time to revisit, um, at least again, a broad scope of what the Scripture tells us about the Holy Spirit. Look, with those, look at those with uh, fresh eyes and with fresh expectation, believing that the Holy Spirit is still who He was in the Scriptures, that He still does what He did in the Scriptures, and that we have every reason to expect for him to move among his people in the 21st century the way he moved among his people in the first century and um, down through the centuries. But we need the scripture to illuminate that subject and bound it appropriately for us. And one of the things I mentioned in my newsletter article, I provided a link to the Evangelical Presbyterian Church's position paper on the Holy Spirit and just said, I'll be teaching where 
Well, teaching from that perspective, there will be uh, perspective. There will be certain points where that will be more um, pertinent or relevant than others. Okay, but I would, if that's, I, I would actually just encourage all of you to uh, find that article, click that link, or even go to their webpage and and read that for yourself. We did provide some hard copies today, and we can print more of those. For those who prefer the digital copy, again, it's in your e uh, email inbox. For those who like a hard copy, there are some available on the back table here in the foyer, and um, some of you got those coming in. And um, again, if, if we run out of those, we'll print more. But that'll be a really important reference point. And um, again, one of the other reasons I'll say about... Uh, the, the why or the, the part of the rationale in wanting to spend some time on this series is because even though not only is the Holy Spirit misunderstood and his work misunderstood even by people who love the Holy Spirit but whereas part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to unify the church we've meditated a little bit on last week Jesus prayer for his disciples that God would make them one remember that that's one of the the the, uh, the Lord Jesus's chief interests for his people is that we would be one as the father and son are one and it is part of the work of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that and yet the subject of the Holy Spirit has been a matter of unbelievable divisiveness and division. Isn't that a cruel irony? And so um, we, we don't want to sit idly by and allow that to be the case. We at least want to give a yeoman's try at being uh, united in what the scriptures tell us about the Holy Spirit and then walk with confidence in the fullness of who he is um, and of what he supplies and what he does in and through his church. So that's uh, a bit of an introduction there leading us to the introduction that Jesus provides here in John 14 as to who the Holy Spirit is. I thought about, I could have maybe titled this message, Who is the Holy Spirit? But uh, this doesn't answer the question entirely, but he provides a really important introduction to who the Holy Spirit is, and it seems fitting that we would begin where Jesus began. Doesn't that seem like a safe starting point to you? If you're going to study something, begin where Jesus began. And so in his introduction here, uh, there are two things he tells us about the person of the Holy Spirit that I want to highlight. And number one, those are that he is a person, not a force. Number two, that he is another helper like Jesus. Hopefully, I will make sense of both of those as we go along. But first of all, Jesus reveals here that he is a person, not a force. This is old news to many um, who have been raised in the church and heard teaching on the subject before. But it does not go without saying. It does not go without saying. It's not as if people don't need to be told that. In Eastern religions and in New Age thought and just sort of spiritualism in a, in a more broad or generic way, it's common to hold to what's called a pantheistic view of the world. 
you may have heard that term, pantheism, is uh, the belief that everything is God. That every, everything in the cosmos is, is literally divine. And so you get that in a lot of Eastern religions. Like I said, you get it in a lot of New Age thought. Um, and that has made its way into the church in a variety of different ways. Uh, we'll touch on that some as we go along. But according to this view, the world is charged with a divine energy that we're to tap into or harness the potential of, even the, 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 the energy uh, within us or the spirit within us. We're to, we're to harness the potential of that and live out of that. That's part of that worldview. It's actually uh, quite well depicted in the Star Wars movies. Uh, this, this worldview actually is, uh, it's, it's really sort of a, um, it's like the Chronicles of Narnia, but for pantheism. I mean, it's that sort of, it, it has that sort of um, power in its sort of illustration of this. But there, there was this uh, scene in The Empire Strikes Back. Some of you who saw that movie may remember Yoda and Luke Skywalker where he's explaining the force. Where Yoda is explaining the force to Luke. And he says, my ally is the force and a powerful ally it is. You can thank me later for not using my Yoda voice, by the way. (laughs) Life creates it and makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. You must feel the force around you. It's in you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. The force. And there are people who along the way have developed, again, to to greater or lesser degrees, the idea that uh, this in some way is a good description of Christianity, that, uh, you know, Jesus is sort of the equivalent of the Jedi Knight, you know, who sort of lives in the power of the Force, and, you know, the Darth Vader is Satan, and um, there's this battle between good and evil, and we as followers of Jesus sort of tap into that same energy or force, There are people who talk about the Holy Spirit that way as if uh, it is an impersonal force or energy. And one of the things that is absolutely essential as a starting point for a study of and experience with the Holy Spirit is to know the Holy Spirit is not that sort of force or energy. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. He is a person. Not a human person, but a person uh, nonetheless. Again, people will say things like the Holy Spirit was there It really moved me. It made me cry. It gave me goosebumps. Well, he's not an it in the first place. 
And that was my point in illustrating that. I thought this was funny, having written that note about goosebumps that's sitting down here just a few minutes ago. I got goosebumps, and it was not the Holy Spirit. It was the air conditioning. <laughs> and see, the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit may have an emotional impact on us that may be the consequence of something that he does, but those are not somehow... Uh, surefire indications of the Holy Spirit's work. And I have literally heard people say that. Do you know the Holy Spirit's moving when you feel the goosebumps? Not the case. He's not your intuition or sixth sense. The Holy Spirit is not the source of all human intuition or gut feelings. And I I should have said at the outset, one of the things that is going to be, I think, important as we go through this series in clarifying who the Holy Spirit is and what he does is to say forthrightly who he is not and what he does not do. Okay? The primary way that we know, though, without question, that the Holy Spirit is a person is... Because the, new, the way the New Testament talks about him ascribes to him personal activities. There are things the Holy Spirit does that persons do. And here are some examples of that. This is not at all a complete list, but it just makes the point. This is, this is how we know this. It's not as if there's a verse that says the Holy Spirit is a person. But there are lots of verses that describe him in ways that are descriptive of personalities. So for example, he teaches. We see this in verse 26 right here. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He teaches. Secondly, he speaks. Acts 13.2 gives an example of this. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Speaking is something that persons do. Third, he can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The force can't be grieved. You get that? I mean, in other words, if if people have this notion that the Holy Spirit is just some kind of impersonal force or energy, that verse doesn't make any sense. He is grieved. And then fourth, the Holy Spirit makes willful choices. He's volitional, the word might be. Acts uh, 16, verses 6 and 7 is one of those, and again, there are others. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I want to underscore something here. Not only that he 
made the willful choice of forbidding that uh, Paul and his team went in a couple of different directions. He made a choice for them and communicated that choice. But also want to point out that in these two verses, it refers to the Holy Spirit and then to the Spirit of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit is the Spirit sent from the Father. Jesus just said he would ask the Father and the Father would send him. But that he is also the Spirit of Jesus. And I'm going to develop that here in just a minute. But the point is just to highlight somewhere in the scripture where it says that. But these are, these are activities of persons. And the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. And by the way, not just a doctrine. It, it, is, it is not sufficient um, simply to declare what's true of the Holy Spirit if we then don't respond to him in light of what's true about the Holy Spirit. That is, just to, just to give intellectual assent to doctrinal statements about the Holy Spirit uh, is insufficient. He's a person. He's to be known as a person. He relates to us as a person, not a force. The second characteristic Jesus points us to, the statement he makes to us about who Jesus is, is that he's another helper like Jesus, I said. I, I, I phrased it this way uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I just chose the language Jesus used, another helper, because it is, uh, it is so easy in trying to describe and and sort of paraphrase or terms that we can understand a little bit, describe the Godhead. It's it's so easy to to misstate who he really is. It's better to use the language he uses. And so I just said, he's another helper, like Jesus. Um, We skipped this passage, as I mentioned, and came back to it. If we had taken in sequence, we might remember more readily, that at the beginning of John 14, he said some of the things that he revisited in what we just read here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me, believe also in God. I'm going away. But in my Father's house are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back for you that where I am, you may be also. Do you remember that? After he's told them uh, he's going away and where he's going, they can't go. He reassures them with the fact that I'm coming back and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the other reassurance that he offers is right here in this passage. I'm going to send another helper. And the implication is, like me, that that the Holy Spirit uh, would continue the work that Jesus did among his disciples. So he would reveal truth. It says that even in some of what we just read right here, in fact, in verse 26. And we'll get into that more next week, um, the Holy Spirit and truth, as we get into John 16. 
and focus on that subject a little bit. But, but part of what the Holy Spirit will do is reveal truth the way Jesus revealed truth to them. He will reveal the Father to them like Jesus revealed the Father to him. He would demonstrate supernatural power the way Jesus did and he would empower his disciples to do extraordinary works and to operate in extraordinary power uh, the way that Jesus did. In fact, that's really the opening verses of Acts um, set up exactly that understanding of what unfolds in the book. That the book of the, uh, Luke says in his gospel, he told about all the things Jesus began to do and teach. And then in this second book, the book of Acts, he's going to, con- he's going to explain all the things that he continued to do and teach through the Holy Spirit um, in the apostles. But the Holy Spirit would continue the work that Jesus did. He's another helper like Jesus. But again, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is just the invisible Jesus or like the ghost of Jesus. Okay, so this isn't like some movie where Jesus died and he came back as a ghost. Um. He is another helper like Jesus, but the Holy Spirit as a person is a distinct person. Now, if you've ever studied this before, your head was spinning then. And it might be, if you haven't studied it before, your head's probably spinning now. Because this becomes a a little bit hard to get our heads around, but this is what is absolutely essential, that we affirm what the Bible reveals to be true about God. And the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person like Jesus, but he is not the same as, he's not identical to Jesus. He is a distinct person from Jesus. And so here are a couple of ways we could maybe say that. That the Holy Spirit applies to the church what Jesus accomplished for the church. That that the Holy Spirit applies to the church what Jesus has accomplished for the church. They're not identical in their personhood or in their work. Another thing we could say is that the Holy Spirit manifests the presence of God on the earth and especially in the church. That is his principal work to manifest the presence of God, presence of God on the earth and especially in the church. In relation to this, I wanted to uh, show this diagram that maybe you've seen before. And this is, again, a, an attempt to depict what the Bible says is true about the Trinity, even though it, it's it's really hard to actually understand. But here's what it says. That the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. One God. One in essence, okay? The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son. 
It's not one God who, like Clark Kent, goes into the phone phone booth and changes it. He changes out of the father suit and he gets into the son suit and comes back out. He goes into the phone booth and changes out of son clothes into Holy Spirit clothes. It's, It's not the same person. They are not identical. Distinct, three distinct persons, one God in essence. That's what that is showing. And that's how the Bible describes him. That's what the Bible reveals about the Trinity. And that is what is absolutely essential that we affirm. Even though we can't really understand that. There is nothing on earth like that. All of the analogies that people use to describe the Trinity... Well, the Holy Spirit is kind of like light. It's light, uh, and it's light, it's energy, and it's heat. Um, no, actually, that's, that's insufficient to describe uh, to God, the Trinity, the way the Bible describes them. All the analogies, in other words, reinforce heresies rather than uh, what the Bible actually teaches. Because there's nothing on earth like it. If you start a sentence that says, the Trinity is like blank, don't fill in the blank. Because there isn't anything like it. And the reason, my reason for saying this is to say, um, the way we learn, the way the human brain learns is to attach new knowledge to existing knowledge. And there isn't anything existing in our head like that to compare it to. And so what we're left with is simply affirming what's true of God as a triune God, affirming what the Bible affirms. That the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, one God in essence. He's a person... He's another helper like Jesus, but not exactly identical to Jesus. And even in what I have just said, when I, when I said it is essential going into this that we, uh, that we let Jesus introduce the Holy Spirit and that we let the Bible tell us what's true about the Holy Spirit, um, even what I have just said, just two points, there are all kinds of errors taught on both of those points that are present in the professing church of Jesus Christ even right now today. And it's, it's essential that we clarify who he is. Because since that is true, that the Holy Spirit is God, he is to be honored and worshipped and glorified. And we need to worship him as he's revealed. One of the implications of uh, these two truths about the Holy Spirit is that as a follower of Jesus, you're never alone. Never alone. There is a person with you and for you. Not just in an abstract sense and not just sort of far off in heaven somewhere, but eminently present with you and for you. You may remember, in fact, in Matthew's gospel where 
Jesus closes that with the Great Commission, right? Go make disciples. The last thing he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the way he is with us always to the end of the age is by his presence manifest among us through the agency of the Holy Spirit, always to the end of the age. You are never alone. I want to conclude uh, this message as well as some following with just affirmations of faith um, about, from our confession of faith as well as creeds about statements of what we declare is true about the Holy Spirit. Uh, We will perhaps next week look at the Nicene Creed on that, but I wanted to actually just from the Westminster Confession of Faith conclude our time just with this declaration from the uh, chapter on the Holy Spirit. Uh, Read this first paragraph together, and I would mention as just sort of a footnote, um, this chapter was added to the Westminster Confession in American Presbyterianism um, in the early 1900s, out following the Great Awake, the Second Great Awakening, and even as uh, the Pentecostal Azusa Street revival and that kind of thing unfolded, it was added because of all the error already emerging about the Holy Spirit. That what's important to say against uh, error that emerges and circulates is what is true. And so do we have that up here? Let's uh, just declare together what is true of the Holy Spirit. Let's read aloud and together. Reading, the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, proceeding from the Father and the Son, of the same substance and equal in power and glory, is together with the Father and the Son to be believed in, loved, obeyed, and worshipped throughout all ages. The Holy Spirit, the forgotten, misunderstood, misrepresented third person of the Trinity, is to be believed in, loved, obeyed, and worshipped throughout all the ages. And one of the things we um, expect, we're going to expect together going through this um, series is uh, recovering a sense of unity in our understanding about that and reigniting our passion for him and our willingness and readiness to love, obey, and worship him in all the ways that he desires to be worshiped. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the reassurance that Jesus gave his disciples and the reassurance that we still receive from that. That he has sent another helper. Not just this nebulous sort of energy that we have to tap into and harness ourselves in some way, but a a person, an agent. He has sent someone 
like him who will help us like him who will empower us to do what it is you've commanded us and commissioned us to do. We thank you, Lord, for that assurance that we are not alone and we do not operate in our own strength. And God, I pray today and in the weeks to follow that you would demonstrate among us your your willingness to manifest your power in the church, in the lives of individual believers, that we would know that we're operating out of resources that are not just our own, but that are your life living in us through the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you would begin to minister to that even today as we open ourselves to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen.